I am fantasy and paranormal romance author Leslie Penelope, and welcome to My Imaginary Friends, a look behind the scenes of an author mapping the worlds in my head and making them a reality. Hello friends, today is Sunday, August 21st, 2022, and this is episode 183 of My Imaginary Friends. I'm Leslie. So this has been sort of a quiet week. I was thinking, what is this week's best thing? I mean, there's always lots to be grateful for. Um, I'm going to go kind of lame and just be like, the weather has been actually really beautiful this week. It hasn't been insanely the temperature of hell like it had been for the past few weeks. And I'm happy about that. That makes life easier in many regards. So we'll do that for this week's best thing. I mean, lots of good things have been happening. I'm still seeing tons of fabulous feedback for the Monsters We Defy, which really is like making me feel good. It gives me so much life. Um, the other side of that is as I'm working on my current book, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, this book is nothing like that one. Will people like this one? As a writer, as an artist, people's reactions get in your head sometimes, whether it's positive or negative. And even when it's positive, somehow you can still turn it into a negative. And I guess it's just because I'm still just in the weeds going through it with with this book. So my writing update, I was moving along, got to another kind of sticky part, which, you know, is going to happen at this section where in the middle of the book, middle act two, always difficult. Anyway, I was doing something else and I had this brainstorm about the voice and it's a first person narrator. So the primary character uh, is telling the story, first person past tense. And I've talked before about learning um, from Juno Diaz about voice and like, who are you telling the story to? And it popped in my head, she could be telling the story to a specific character. Like a lot of times you feel like the first person narrator is telling the story to you, the reader. But I was like, what if she was telling the story to this person? Because I was thinking about putting in some of the POVs that I had removed, like POV characters. And I was just kind of thinking, what is going to solve this? What is going to make me feel better? Because I'm feeling some type of way about not just the next scene, but just the next section and how I'm going to get this information out. In my first draft, I do have a secondary POV character, the love interest for Jane. And so he has a few scenes that I decided he doesn't need his own POV. He doesn't have much of an arc or whatever arc he has. I'm not focused on enough for it to make sense for him to have his own POV chapters. And that's still um, a decision that's in flux because I got to his chapter and I'm like, well, how am I going to get this information out? And it's like, well, I have to have Jane observe it in order for her to tell it to us. So I was weaving my way around. How do I get Jane to witness this? So a thing that she previously did not witness. And that got me thinking about the book Mama Day, which I reread before I wrote Monsters. And it was one of my favorite books as a young person. It was really influential to me. A lot of the sort of backstory interstitials in the Monsters We Defy owe a lot to that book and just like the impression it left and then rereading it and the amazing voice. But it also has, it's got several POVs in the book. Um, one is like either the ancestors or the island. It's it's just collective voice that I I thought was really great. And I was trying to do for a while and it ended up being a little different in Monsters. And then 
there's another kind of more standard third person. And then there are two characters who are talking to each other. And they're like, you know, the first time I met you, you were in this diner, you were picking your teeth with a coffee stirrer. And they're telling the story of their relationship to each other. And spoiler, one of them has died. And I think that's kind of the conceit of that. And so one of them is telling it from the beyond, ostensibly, and one of the, you don't really know, it's not, you know, that concrete. It's just they are reminiscing to one another about the events of the story. And I was like, that's really interesting. And I thought of doing that, would that help with the problem I was having? It would give me a way to focus the first person POV. And so I was like, let me just try it. So I went back to the first scene and I tried it just going through tweaking so that she's talking to a character. Now, in this case, it's not the love interest. It's another character. And it allowed me to see some of the um, deficits in my first person narration. So I was trying to make it as, you know, we call it deep POV, but you're really inside the character's head. They are talking to whomever, to the reader, let's say. And as I was kind of doing this light revision, you know, adding in a few, oh, do you remember this? And I thought this was you. And like, so she's actually talking to this character. I realized I'm still the writer voice. The author voice was very much in her first person narration. So for example, there was, you know, a section, a sentence where she was like, oh, and, you know, so-and-so looked at me reproachfully or with reproach in their eyes or something. And it's like, no one talking to someone else, whatever, be like, and then she looked at me with reproach in her eyes, right? Like, that's a very authorial, if it's like third person, it's fine. If it's, um, you know, like a third person, a little further away, if the narrator is saying that, you get away with it. But a lot of times when we do first person, we're still authoring, we're still trying to get our words in, you know, our, the best wordplay and the imagery and all of that. And so I took that out. And I would just try to make it more normal, like, you know, and she just looked me up and down or something that someone would actually say if they were talking to another person, even if it was only in their mind um, or like in a diary or something. So I envision it, it's not diary entries, but it's somewhere between talking to a person and a diary entry where my character is now relaying the story to this other character. And then it got me thinking, oh, I can make this pay off at the end. Because um, you can find out exactly why all this time she's been talking to this person. So I started it and I went through, I did the first two scenes. I was like, I like this. It allows me to sharpen the first person and, and bring it back, bring it deeper. I take out some of my authorialisms, if that's a word, you know, just... I don't think I write flowery, but there are certain like turns of phrase that I'm trying to do. And I just want it to be more grounded. I, I can still get some of that in, but in a more organic, natural way to the character and how she would speak. And if, even if I end up having to take out some of the, the, the use, the talking to this character who she just is referring to as you, this exercise, um, helps me sharpen the POV. And then I got to some parts where there were flashbacks in the middle of the of the narration, and I'm, I, had, I just had to kind of think through all of those choices. Like, if she's talking to this character, and then she remembers something, she's still talking to them. She's talking to them about this memory. But 
if the conceit of this is that she has been talking to this person in her head for a long time, wouldn't they already know about that event from the flashback? Wouldn't she have already told them about that event? And so I spent a while thinking of how I can do that. And that was the kind of the main stumbling block, which is making me think, I don't know if it's working. I like it in a way. It's different. It allows more of the character voice to come through. It does double duty in the fact that there's a slight layer of, you know, the reason she's talking to this character in her head is connected to everything else. It's like very Jane. It makes perfect sense given her backstory, her her wound, the secret that she's keeping, you know, like it fits with the story. It's just that it is a little unusual, I think. And I do wonder what my editor will say. And there are times when I'm feeling like, is it too much? Is it too like self-conscious? Or am I trying to do something like too fancy for what I, for the book? So I'm kind of locked in. Like I usually try to trust my gut. And I feel like when I did the first scene, I was like, oh, this is working. I'm going to do the whole thing. So I spent like two whole days, long days <laughs> going through and you know, going through everything I'd written from Jane's POV and slightly shifting it. So she's talking to someone, reining in the author stuff, deepening the POV, all of that. But now I'm like, oh gosh, is it working? I'm gonna have to, am I going to have to undo it? Like, I'm not definitely not going to undo it before my editor says anything. I'm, I'm locked in now. I'm halfway through. I spent the time doing it. I do like it. I'm just, I'm also in a period where I feel like, I'm not entirely reliable about the book because I've just been in it so long. Like, it'd be great to have a break. Um, but I have to push through if I'm going to meet the deadline, which I'm also worried about. And it's starting to affect my sleep. Um, I start getting insomnia when I'm stressed about things and that's starting to happen. So I don't know. I still am going to write six days a week. I'm definitely still need, need at least a day off. And we'll see how it goes. But there's costs and benefits to all of the sort of artistic choices, all of the craft choices that you make, that you have to think through. And now I'm at a point where I'm getting towards that midpoint still. I still haven't hit it. I fast drafted some of it. And then I took a step back to do this. And so I haven't cleaned up those chapters. And I'm still, I feel like I'm still too, like where I should have been two weeks ago. But it is what it is. But talking about, voice and perspective POV. I saw that there's an author whose books I read. She writes romantic suspense. And I'd heard her speak on like her marketing and stuff. Like her first series, I believe was dual third person. And then, well, not her first series, but the last, her big series, it kind of broke out where she broke out. And then she has a spinoff series where it's dual first person. And I heard from somewhere that she said, um, some readers have had a negative response to first person. Some readers don't like first person. Some readers only like first person. You never know what you're going to get. And so I saw that she's offering the books that she had written in first person. She wrote a, a third person version that you can get instead if that's what you prefer. And I was like, whoa, like you can't just, well, I mean, you can, obviously <laughs> I was going to say, you can't just turn a book from first to third. Like it's not just a matter of changing um, I to he. It's not just a pronoun issue. It's a perspective issue. 
Although going from first to third will still give you a very deep third, as opposed from going to third to first, where there's a lot of rewriting you have to do. Like that's a much harder job. Still, I might try to check it out and just kind of look at the chapter side by side and see see how she did it because it seems like an extraordinary amount of work. So it must have been a lot of readers complaining. And I think that when you are a very high-earning indie, you are beholden to your readers in a way that other writers aren't. And that's something that kind of is scary, you know? I know Marie Force, uh, who's another seven-figure indie author, she said online about responding to fans, changing storylines and things because of reader, you know, feedback. You know, you write for readers. We do this to be read. And so on the one hand, I understand it. And if you were, you know, selling hundreds of thousands, millions of copies of books and a significant portion of those people are complaining, then you're looking at your balance sheet and your income statement saying, hmm, I need to make these people happy. And I get that, but like, also, no, like, is that how it works? It's just scary to me. I, um, I've done reader surveys and I'm on my to-do list is to do the, the reader survey. Like I started it and I've started and stopped several times, but before the year is out, there will be another reader survey. And I used to ask, or in the previous years when I've done it, I've asked something like, what would you like to see me write just to see? And the vast majority of people are like, write whatever you want, you know, write what you feel, you know, we'll read it. And that's more of my philosophy on that. Like I do try to write things. I want to be a commercial genre fiction author. So I do try to make my books in line with that. But they still have to be something that I want to spend months of my time on and you know, be meaningful to me in some way. And there's different philosophies. I think that maybe when you are a very high earning, fast publishing indie, it's less about what you want to write and it's much more about what they want to read. And that's just not where I'm coming from. So I do respect the decision as much as it scares me and uh, is not at all something that resonates with me, you know, or something that I could even do different strokes for different folks. But yeah, maybe my decision-making would be different if I was making a million dollars a year or more um, publishing these books and felt like I needed to do whatever the readers wanted. In TV, I did finish Sandman. Uh, I heard that there was a bonus episode or two, and I have not watched those. And I might not, because my friend watched them and she was like, she gave me a warning and then I looked it up and I was like, mm, I don't know if I care. Like, I appreciated Sandman. Didn't love it. I thought it was doing some really interesting things. Would I watch a season two? Maybe. It didn't do what I thought it was going to do. Like, there was some character development for the Sandman character, which I expected, given the beginning. But it was so many different shows in one show which is fine, right? Like, that's what they wanted to do. I mean, I was compelled to keep watching. That's all I can really say about it. I I don't have a cogent criticism. It just it didn't resonate with me, and I wasn't feeling it as much as other people are. And I tried to watch that new Jamie Foxx movie, uh, Day Shift, the vampire one, 
we watched like the first 15, 20 minutes. And I was like, oh, this is so derivative. It's so stale. I've seen this movie 15 times before. And we just turned it off. My husband agreed. And we're like, eh, we could do something better with our time. And I know that friend of the show, Michael Haspel, had posted um, about this, comparing it to his own book. They should have taken Michael's book and made it into a movie because it was way better. His book is Graveyard Shift. If you want a really good vampire story that's like um like a noir kind of mystery, read that. I will link to it in the show notes. Uh, I don't, apparently, they're going to do like a series of these Day Shift Jamie Foxx movies. Are people enjoying it? I mean, maybe it gets better, but given how it started and the stakes, and I just didn't care about the stakes, and it was just like, ugh. Like, not the literal stakes, the character stakes. Like, yes, I want you to be with your daughter, but I've seen this motivation so many times before. It was so silly. And not like in a funny, silly way, in like a trite, warmed over way. So we'll not be finishing that. But if you saw it and loved it, let me know. So yeah, that's it for me for this week. Um... I'm headed to San Diego this week for my uh, for my brother's play, A, and my author event at Mysterious Gal- Galaxy Books on Thursday, the 24th, the 25th. So if you're in SoCal, San Diego area, hope that you can come out. It will be streamed live for those of you around the country and the world who cannot be in San Diego. And uh, in writing news, I will be writing, just trying to get through it, get as much done as possible. I'm going to need to really focus the next five, six weeks until this is due to get it done. Because I don't want to push it back. And I think I can get it done. I just need to stop being precious about everything. I don't think I'm being precious per se. I'm just being perfectionistic. And that is something that was honed with my first series because I had to turn it in as perfect as possible because it was going straight to copy edits. I know I'm going to get a developmental edit on this so I I can relax and I just have to remind myself of that over and over again because I'm still in that mindset. Part of me is just like, just write the damn book and, you know, Navia, my editor, will tell me, (laughs) she will give me detailed, you know, editorial information and make it better and, you know, I still, I don't want to give her crap. Like, that's disrespectful. Like, she's going to spend time on this. I want to give her the best thing I can, but I know it doesn't have to be ready for copy edits. And so I need to just relax a little bit about it. Yeah, basically, that's it. So I hope that you have a wonderful week, and I will talk to you next week. For episode show notes and to sign up for the Footnotes newsletter and get the show notes in your inbox, go to myimaginaryfriendsshow.com. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and watch the video episodes on YouTube. Email me at podcast at lpenelope.com and I would really appreciate a rating and review to help support the show. My Imaginary Friends is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. For more fantastic podcasts, go to frolic.media slash podcasts.